day set aside to recognize and honor moms and grandmas, great-grandmas for the significant role they have in their families and on society. And it's also an opportunity for me to share a carefully selected story <laughs> or two that commemorates such a special occasion. The first story submitted by our Men's Mother's Day Joke Committee uh, <laughs> is told of a couple who had been married for a very long time. In fact, they'd been married for 20 years. And the wife awakens in the middle of the night only to discover that her husband has gotten out of bed. She gets worried about him. She puts on her robe and slippers. She walks downstairs to look for him. And she finds him sitting all by himself at the kitchen table with a hot cup of coffee. He's staring at the wall, blinking through tears in his eyes. She says, what's the matter, dear? He shakes his head, but no words can come to his lips. So she asks, why are you down here at this time of night? What is going on? And he looks up from his cup of coffee, glances at her, and says, you know, I was just thinking. He goes, do you remember 20 years ago when we were dating, and you were only 16 and I was 18? She says, yeah, I remember. He says, well, and he's choking on his tears. He said, well, you know, you remember when your father saw us in the car, and we were smooching, and he got so mad he walked out of the car? He came back and he stuck a pistol in my face and he said, any boy who kisses my daughter like that is going to marry her. Either you marry her or I'm sending you to jail for the next 20 years. He says, do you remember that, honey? She said, yeah, dear, I remember that. He wipes another tear away from his face and he says, I just realized I would have gotten out today. And now, to balance the universe, the story submitted by the Women's Committee on Mother's Day jokes. So once upon a time, a beautiful, independent, self-assured princess happened upon a frog in a pond. The frog said to the princess, I was once a handsome prince until an evil witch put a spell on me. One kiss from you, however, and I will turn back into a prince and we can marry. Move into the castle with my mom. You can prepare my meals, clean my clothes, bear my children, and you can live happily ever after doing these things. That night, while the princess dined on frog legs, she kept laughing and saying to herself, I don't think so. And the universe is now back in harmony. You know, the point of the stories, you know, in a humorous way, they illustrate the desire on the part of both men and women to be liberated from what they believe to be constraints of an oppressive situation. You know, to be freed from bondage, to fully enjoy this life. And today on this Mother's Day, I couldn't think of a more appropriate passage to examine as it relates to what it means to be a truly liberated woman. If you've got your Bibles hopefully with you, turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Because in this chapter, God has recorded for our instruction the life of a truly liberated woman. Her name is Lydia. She lived in a city of Thyatira. And we find here in Acts chapter 16, starting with verse 12, the account of her life. It says, And from there we went to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia a Roman colony, and we were staying in the city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. And a certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. 
And when, she had, and when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. You know, many feminists blame Christianity for the plight of women in the world. They'll take certain passages out of the Bible, take them out of context. They'll take some that have to do with a, a, a woman's limited role in leadership and consider it evidence somehow that Christianity has suppressed or held women down. You know, and if you really look at the evidence, this is historical revisionism. There's no truth whatsoever to this because if any religion has ever liberated women, it has been Christianity. All one needs to do today is compare Christianity to the, the Middle Eastern religions, consider, you know, even Judaism, Eastern religions, and probably the worst of all, Islam, and consider the oppression that takes place in each of those belief systems and compare that to what the Bible teaches regarding a woman's role. You know, Jesus was very, very open about the fact that, you know, on the other hand, he treated women with respect and equality with men. He recognized that men and women have very distinct roles as created by God, distinct roles and distinct, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, job descriptions, so to speak. And yet they're all under God as equal. You know, Jesus actually spoke with women, which was unheard of in his day. You know, the fact that women ministered to him during his life, they stayed with him at his crucifixion. They came to the tomb to anoint his body, and they were the first to witness the resurrection. Places women in a very different, distinct role than had ever taken place throughout human history. You know, our Lord recognized the worth of women and appreciated their efforts and received their following of him and welcomed them. Not only did he do that, but also the Apostle Paul did the same thing. And he commended and praised women. We find accounts of this in Scripture where he commended Phoebe in Romans 16 and also Iodia and Syntyche in Philippians chapter 4. And now in our passage that we see here, we discover that it was to a group of women that Paul first preached the gospel in Europe. You know, and this is highly significant because it indicates his attitude was in sharp contrast to those of his fellow Pharisees. The Pharisees, on the other hand, would not stoop so low as to teach a woman, believing that to teach women God's truth was a waste of their time. In fact, not only did they believe that, but they also prayed regularly this simple prayer. They thanked God daily that they were neither Gentiles, slaves, or women. You know, Paul's treatment of women also ran counter the treatment of women in the Greco-Roman society. So we need to look at Scripture, and we need to look at history for the evidence that it gives us and give God his just due and the fact that he treats women with absolute upright respect. We have distinct roles and responsibilities. There's no question about that. But as far as God is concerned, he wishes that none would perish, that all come to everlasting life. And so as we consider these things, that said, we come to an encounter that Paul had with this group of women, and particularly with one woman named Lydia. And from this passage, we'll briefly examine five things about her life that will help us to understand what true liberation is all about. First, if you notice in verse 14, we're told that a certain woman who's named as Lydia from the city of Thyatira, she was a seller of purple fabric. That statement in itself helps us to recognize and understand the abundance of this woman's life. You know, this woman had it, as we would say, she had it going for her. 
you know, she was a, you know, immediately we're told of her riches because she was a seller of purple fabrics. The city of Thyatira was noted for its manufacture of purple dye and dyed goods, and purple dye always uh, reflected royalty, uh, and, and it was made from the glands of a shellfish, or else it was made from the roots of the matter plant, and it was prohibitively expensive. And this woman was a woman who did business in purple, in, in purple fabric. And because of that, she had certain rights as a business person, and she was recognized in her community, and she had everything going for her as far as her culture was concerned. And she also had a reach that went to beyond the, the typical circle that women had in that day, but her clientele were very wealthy people. And so she had access to the wealthiest people of her day. She had access to people because of her prominence in business. She had access because of her own particular wealth. And this passage tells us that she had a house big enough that she could entertain the missionaries who came to speak to her. And later, when the church was founded, she also welcomed the church to meet at her house. And so she was a very prominent woman, and we need to recognize that God honors this and shows this to us very clearly. Proverbs 31, a wonderful chapter on what it means to be an enterprising woman, an entrepreneur, so to speak. This woman had everything in her life uh, that she could ever want as far as the world had to offer. And you would think that she would be content, that she would be satisfied. She, would, uh, you know, she was the CEO of her day. She was on the Fortune cover of the Fortune 500 magazine, so to speak. And she had everything that this world had to offer, and yet she learned what Solomon had learned centuries prior, and that is that material possessions, society's recognition, uh, the so-called human rights that she had left her empty, left her without purpose, left her without meaning. She was empty. Solomon said, it's all vanity. You know, everything this world has to offer, if you think you're oppressed because you don't have what wealthy people have, listen to what God has to say. If you had what they have, it would not liberate your soul. If you had everything this world has to offer, it would not liberate you in any way from the greatest needs of our human condition. You know, when we stop and then we think about this, you know, she learned what tens of millions have discovered throughout human history, that life is empty, it's devoid of purpose and meaning if lived only in the physical realm. You know, perhaps you can relate. You know, you've got it all, so to speak. You know, you've lived long enough to be a grandmother, a great-grandmother. You know, you've lived long enough that you've been married for a while. You've had everything this world has to offer. And the older that you've got, the more you realize how shallow life is. It just doesn't mean anything. And there's got to be a greater purpose. There's got to be greater meaning. In fact, everything that you've got that you thought would fulfill you provided maybe at the best temporary satisfaction. And that was the end of it. And you were searching and you're still searching for more. You know, Lydia recognized that. That the greatest questions in life are still, where did I come from and why am I here? And where am I going when this life comes to an end? Because it will. And I don't care if you're 90 years old, you look at life and you say, man, that went by quick. The brevity of life. We're like a, we're like a vapor in a mirror. We're here one moment and gone the next. And if we live 90 years, 100 years against the backdrop of eternity, it goes by just like that. See, is that all there is to life? There must be more. Blaise Pasquale was quoted as saying, within the heart of every human being is a God-shaped vacuum. Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? 
Or what would a man or a woman exchange for his soul? I mean, what does this world have to offer compared to that what God has to offer? Solomon, the wealthiest man who ever walked the face of the earth, experienced everything there was to experience in this lifetime. And he came to the conclusion that without a personal relationship with the God who created us, we can never find fulfillment, joy, purpose, or peace. Period. And that was where Lydia found herself. And because of that, we are now told that such an emptiness caused and created within her the appetite for spiritual things. In this one sentence, this one phrase, we're told that she was a worshiper of God. And what that means is that she was a worshiper of the God of Israel. Because God identifies himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Israel as opposed to the gods of all other nations. And she worshipped the best she could, the God of Israel. Hear, O Israel, and know this, the Lord your God is one. There's only one God. There's not 20 gods, 10 gods, 15 gods, 50 gods. There's one God. And he identifies himself through human history as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And she worshipped him as best she could. She had a desire to worship him, to seek him. A worshiper of God shows that Lydia, like Cornelius, was a believer in the God of Israel. And the first step of her spiritual liberation was that she was a seeking woman. Are you a seeking woman? Are you a seeking man? Are you looking for answers to life's greatest questions? Why, why am I here and where am I going and how did I get here and is there a God? And you know, can I know that God and is there purpose and meaning behind life? Or is it just a matter of filling it up 24 hours a day, seven days a week with just stuff to take our mind off of the, the deeper questions of life? Are you a seeking person who's seeking God and seeking truth? The Bible says that you and I can't even seek God unless God creates within us a desire to seek Him. Romans 3.1, we're told that there's none who understands, there's no one who seeks after God. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. See, if God doesn't create in your heart a desire to seek him, you'll never seek him because we come into the world alienated in rebellion against God. We have no interest in God. We are our own God. We live our own life. We do our own thing. And God says, unless I put within you the desire to seek after me, you'll never find me. But if I have put, in with, put, put within you a desire to know me and to seek me, you have a responsibility to then seek me out. And if you seek me, you will not be disappointed. See, John 6, 37, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. The Bible clearly teaches that you know, the person seeking God will never be disappointed because he is not far from any of us. Are you seeking God today? If so, you will find him today, here, now, in this very place. She was a woman who sought after God. She had a disciplined mind and lifestyle. She tried to live the good life, you know, a good life. But in the end, she knew that she was damned because there was no peace with God in her life. See, in a similar way, she was like the rich young ruler. As I read through this passage, I couldn't help but be reminded of the man who had everything in this world. Here's a woman who has everything in this world, and neither one of them had peace with God. You know, and, and he came to her and, and said to Jesus, you know, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? I've got everything I ever wanted in my life. I got all this stuff, and you know what? But there's something missing in my heart. There's something missing in my life. There, there's a void there. There's a lack of peace and purpose and, and understanding. 
What do I got to do? And he mistakenly thought there was more he needed to do. See, you know, perhaps you can relate. You try to live a good life. You try to be a good person. You may even go to church and you may worship God the best that you know how. But you know in your heart that if you die today, the best you could do is hope that you are good enough. What God has taught me throughout this last eight months of four different surgeries is I lay in a hospital bed often by myself at night. I begin to recognize and understand that, you know what, there is nothing in this world that takes the place of a personal relationship with the God who created me. It doesn't matter what my jobs have been. It doesn't matter how long I've been married. It doesn't matter how many children or grandchildren I now have. It doesn't matter whether a house is paid off, not paid off. It doesn't matter how much money we have in the bank, how much money we've got saved for retirement. None of those things matter when you're laying in a hospital bed facing death. The only thing that matters is that you can have peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's all that matters. Nothing else matters. See, you know, to those seeking God, God will send to such a person his life-saving, life-giving truth. And backtracking a bit, as you see, what we're going to learn here is this, and I want you to listen carefully because this is so important that you understand this. Worshiping God is not enough. Worshiping God is not enough. She worshiped God, the only God there is. She worshipped him, but it was not enough to save her from the consequences of her sin. And that's why God sent to her his spiritual calvary, so to speak. And we see the arrival of truth in verse 13. We're told that Paul and this group that were with him went outside the gate to a riverside where they supposed that there would be a place of prayer. They knew in any city that they went to, if there wasn't a synagogue and you needed 10 men to establish a synagogue, if there wasn't enough men to establish a synagogue, that the place that you went to worship God would be down by the waterside, in this case, down by the river. So they knew logically that if we're going to find anyone who is seeking God, then we will find them at the river. And they went to the river and recognized that there wasn't one guy there seeking God. It was a group of women who were there. And Paul went to them and began conversing with them. He began to speak with them, to talk with them. And the Bible clearly teaches, as we understand that the word that is used, is that he had a conversation with them. And guess what he talked about? He talked about God's love. He talked about sin. He talked about emptiness. He talked about the fact that all of us have sinned and none of us are righteous. We are all born into this world separated from God. He talked about the fact that if it wasn't for God and his love for us, we would all be hopelessly lost. He called into their mind their own sin. He helped them to see that they too fell short of God's glory. There is not one person I have ever met in my life who has been able to, with a straight face, look me in the eyes and say, you know what, Chuck, save it because I am perfect. No one. They always say this, but. I'm not perfect, but. The but is all you need to know that condemns you. I am not perfect, but. That's it. But. But everybody else is doing it. No but. You're guilty too. I mean, we've been there. You've been there. Your children have been in your car. You're driving too fast, and they're looking at the speedometer saying, hey, 
Slow down, Dad. Slow down, Mom. You're going 80 and the speed limit's 40. <laughs> and you say, but I have to get to church. They're going to lock me out. <laughs> There's no buts. There's no buts. So you say, but look, everybody else is doing it. No buts. We're held up against that standard, and God says that you and I are held against his standard, and all of us fall short. Who hasn't lied? Who hasn't cheated? Who hasn't taken the name of the Lord in vain? Who has always honored their father and mother? It's Mother's Day. Mothers, everyone can stand up and say, you know what? Let me tell you about my kids. They didn't always honor me. You know, and that's just the way it is. Have we always kept God first in our life? No. You know what? We're all guilty. And he shared that with them. They're guilty. And they said, but, but we're worshiping God. And he said, but that's not enough. Let me tell you the rest of the story. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. His name is Jesus. He grew up in Nazareth. He spent his time there. He's Jesus of Nazareth, and he was crucified on the cross. He gave his life up so that you and I who believe in him would not be held accountable for our sins. God raised him again on the third day. He is alive today. Worshiping God is not enough. One must recognize their sinfulness. You must recognize your sin, and you must repent and turn from sin and turn to God. And trust in Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, and the power of his resurrection. And receive him as your Lord and Savior. Worshiping God is not enough. The gospel is fulfilled in the purpose, the life, the work, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And those who are seeking God, when the gospel is delivered to them, they will receive Jesus as Savior because it is the culmination of the truth that they are looking for. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but through me. But we worshiped in church, no man comes unto the Father but through me. But I did all these good deeds, no man comes unto the Father but through me. But I gave money to the nonprofit organizations, no man comes unto the Father but through me. What don't you understand? There is a road that leads to destruction and it is broad and many are on it. And there is a narrow way, the narrow gate. And all who get to heaven must enter in through Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected. If you are here today and you think you're a good person, I am here to share with you the message. See, because God, his way of conveying his message is always to deliver it through a man or through a woman who has been entrusted by God with the mysteries, the knowledge of the mysteries of God. God has chosen to use human vehicles, human vessels, to go out into the world and to reach this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those of us who have repented from sin and recognized our need to be forgiven by God, have trusted in Christ, his death and his resurrection, have been born again by the will of God, not by our own human efforts. God says to you and I as his children, you have a responsibility to go into the world and deliver that message to those who are seeking God. And it is not up to us to close the deal. It is up to God, the Holy Spirit, to convict people of sin so that they are broken and they repent and they trust in God. You and I cannot save a person from hell, but we have been entrusted with the message that God uses to deliver them from such a fate. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Because there is no other way, there is no other authority there is no other name given to men under heaven by which you can be saved and I can be saved. See, Lydia recognized that. 
The book of Romans tells us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For if the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with his mouth he confesses unto salvation. It goes on to say, and blessed are the feet of those who deliver that message to those who receive it. Praise God, there will be people who hate you for delivering to them the only way that they can be spared from an eternity separated from God. And God says, don't you worry about how you're received. You just go and deliver the truth. See, Paul delivered the truth. He delivered the message. And the greatest miracle that any one of us can ever uh, experience from God is not the miracle of being healed from his physical disease. It's not the miracle of getting that job that you always wanted or that spouse that you wanted or conceiving that child that you prayed and waited for so long. The greatest miracle that you and I can ever experience is the miracle of the new birth. To be born again by God. To be made alive to God and dead to sin. To be able to recognize and know God personally and to have a personal relationship with the God who created us. To be able to experience what Adam and Eve experienced in the garden before they chose to rebel and to walk from God. That he walked with them daily and he had fellowship with them. That you can have fellowship and I can have fellowship with the God who created us through faith in Christ. The greatest comfort in my life today is knowing that I have trusted in Christ as my, as my Savior. And he lives within me. And he bears witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God to those who believe in his name. And he comforts me in those moments where I'm laying around and nobody else is around. And I wonder, God, what do you have planned for my life? And his word just shouts to me, Chuck, do not be afraid. For I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Be strong and courageous. You know what I have for you. I prepared a place for you, and I will come again. And if I don't come before then, I will call you to myself, and you will be with me for all of eternity. There, is a, there, is, there are promises of God that get me through the troubles and trials of this life. And I, like Paul, don't consider the sufferings of this lifetime worthy to be compared to the backdrop of the glory that will be revealed to those of us who have trusted in Christ. Praise God for what a wonderful message. What a wonderful Savior. See, Lydia had everything and she had nothing. She worshiped God, but yet she was still missing something in her life. And what she was missing was a personal relationship with God through faith in Christ. And what we know and what we see here is that she gave attention to the preaching. We're told that she was listening. She was listening to what was said. And I, I don't know if you're listening and it's not my business whether you are or not. But God knows if you're listening. She paid attention. She heard the words that were said. She was looking for the, the additional revelation of God. And as God always does, those who are faithful with what he gives us, and we continue to seek out after him, he sends people into our life to complete the message for us. She was listening. She hadn't already made up her mind. She was open to God's truth. She was open to the evidence. She wanted to know the truth, unlike so many of us today in our culture. I have already made up my mind. Like many of us, including myself, when I hear, you know, oh, here's the results of your latest CT scan or MRI or PET scan or whatever. You know, I would like to make up my mind that this cancer is gone. I don't want to hear anything contrary to that. But you know what? That is a foolish way to look at life. And when they tell me things that I wish I didn't hear, then the next thing I do is say, thank you, now what do we need to do about it? And I would hope that you would say, thank you, sir, that you have confronted me in my greatest need to repent of my sin and to trust in Christ. 
What do I need to do? You need to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. The Bible says believe upon him and you shall be saved. Not only you, but also your household if you share the same truth with them. To believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And I want you to recognize that, you know what, she believed. She gave attention to the preaching and she believed. How do we know that she believed? We know that she believed because the result was she said, you know what, I need to be baptized. She had been baptized. Her and her household and all who believe were baptized. And baptism is an outward profession of an inner decision. You know what? I've come to faith in Christ. I have turned from sin. I've turned to God. The God I was worshiping at a distance, I now know him personally because I have turned to Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross for me. I believe that he rose again from the dead. And I believe that if I ask him to forgive me of my sins and come into my life, the Bible says that he shall. And now I am a child of God. What do I need to do next? They said, be baptized and let the world know what God has done in your life. He has called you from darkness into light so that you can proclaim to the world the excellency of him who has done so. How do I do that? Be baptized. Why baptism? Because that will save a person? No. Faith in Christ and him alone saves. The thief on the cross was never baptized, but Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Those who live subsequent to conversion, God says, now be baptized. Identify with Jesus' death in the water, so to speak. Identify with his death and his burial and be resurrected to the newness of life as you come forth. You know, God has changed your heart. He has made you new in Christ. You have a new, you're a new creature. You're alive to spiritual things. The Bible will start to make sense. Conviction of sin will now make sense. You will start to live a life that is pleasing to God that you thought you could do before and you never could and you're always frustrated trying. And now you're new in Christ. And because of that, he says, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, and you shall be saved. Let people know. This is not a secret we're to keep to ourselves. It has been entrusted to you and I who know Christ, the mysteries of the knowledge of God. What must I do to be saved? Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Lydia was a truly liberated woman because she was liberated from the bondage of sin and death and raised to the newness of life. And all the money in the world, all the social standing in the world, all the position in the world, all the rights that she had will never ever duplicate what only God can do through faith in Christ. Have you trusted him as your savior? And in closing, we see the ability that Lydia now has to serve the Lord from a joyful heart. She prevailed upon them. And she said, you know what? Come to my house. A sign or a gift of a person who is truly born of God is is the gift of hospitality. God's people should be hospitable. Elders are told to be hospitable. Women are told to be hospitable. The word hospitality means to open your home to a stranger so that when they come into your home, they sense God's presence in your home. Every mom, every grandma who knows the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, every person that walks into your house should sense God's presence in your home. They should sense God's love. They should sense that there is something different in this home. 
We live in a world filled with hatred and anger and abuse. We live in a world where people are hurt every day by one another. And when they come into our house, they should sense God's love. When they come into our house, they should sense God's forgiveness. When they come into our house, they should sense God's acceptance. When they come into our house, they should be drawn to faith in Jesus Christ. And when they come into our house as a church, they better sense the same thing. Because as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. All kind of liberation movements going on, people. But there are none that will liberate people from sin and from death other than the truth of God's word. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And no man comes unto the Father but through me. If you want to know the truth, you got to get to know Jesus. How do you know Jesus? You recognize your need for forgiveness. You turn from sin. You turn to God. You throw yourself upon his mercy, believing that Jesus died on the cross for you, that he was raised again from the dead. And that he hears that prayer, God, forgive me, for I am a sinner. Come into my life as my Lord and my Savior. And if any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. If any woman is in Christ, she's a new creature. All things pass away. All things become new. Only in Christ will we ever have true liberation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that sets us free from the bondage of sin, from the bondage of hell, from the bondage of an eternity away from you. God, it is my prayer that those who hear these words will recognize that the fact that they say I'm not perfect but is condemning in their sight, condemning before God. There is none righteous, no, not one. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us have gone astray, each have gone our own way. We all need a Savior. God, I pray for those who do not know what would happen if they died today, that they would turn now here from sin and trust in you. They would believe your word that Jesus Christ and him crucified and raised from the dead is the only way they'll be saved. And that they would receive him here and now as their Lord and Savior. God, forgive me for I'm a sinner. I've been trying to work my way to heaven. I've been trying to do good things. But you know what? Your truth has just convicted my heart that there's only one way. And that's through faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. And to the best of my understanding, I believe in him now for the forgiveness of my sins, that he died for me, that he rose from the dead, he is alive today, and that he come into my life as I ask him to be my savior. God, we love you, we praise you for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that truly liberates men and women from the bondage of sin and death. And it's in his wonderful name we pray, amen.